Well, good morning. Christ is risen. Amen. So this morning, as, as we do every year, and, uh, and really every Sunday to an extent, we are celebrating the fact that our Savior, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead. And of course, every Christian believes in the resurrection because without believing that Christ rose from the dead, a person cannot be a Christian. According to Paul, the resurrection is one of the indispensable truths of the gospel. And anyone who rejects it has rejected the good news about Jesus and is lost. And if anyone is listening today who does not believe that Jesus Christ is the crucified and risen Son of God, I'm hoping that will change by the end of this message. And now what we're going to do today, uh, by the way, kids, you can look alive. Uh, there's some, some hidden pictures there. Um, although all Christians believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we don't always understand why the resurrection is so vital, why it's so important. And obviously Jesus had to rise from the dead because he's, he's God the Son. You know, that's kind of a given. Uh, on top of that, he said he would, and we know that God doesn't lie. We know that God doesn't break his promises. But as we, as we really dive into the scripture, we're going to see that there's a whole lot more meaning to Jesus' resurrection than we might initially think. And, uh, and before we do, please understand I do not think it's necessary that a person understand these nuances in order to believe in the resurrection. Okay, so, so to borrow an idea from C.S. Lewis, uh, a child doesn't have to know what poison actually looks like in order to know that they're not supposed to drink it, right? Likewise, uh, we don't have to have a full understanding of what the resurrection means in order for us to believe that Christ rose from the dead and thus be saved. But it truly is a blessing. It really is to know why the resurrection is so important, so wonderful, and has such a great effect on us, a great impact on our faith. So uh, if you don't mind, we're going to take a moment to pray, and then we'll get going. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his resurrection from the dead. Thank you that you brought us this life in such a, a beautiful and powerful way. And Father God, we ask that as we learn more about him this morning, that, Father, that you will uh, open our minds, open our eyes to see, open our hearts to receive, help us to be good soil so that the word that is planted will take root and bear fruit in our lives that brings glory and honor to your name and that draws people into the light. And Father, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All right, friends, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans, uh, the book of Romans. Please understand what we're looking at today does not by any stretch of the imagination explore every avenue uh, when it comes to the importance of the resurrection. Okay, this is not going to be exhaustive. I just want to make sure you understand that there's really no way to do all of that in one sermon effectively, I wouldn't think. But what I'm hoping is that by the end of this message, uh, we'll all have a better grasp, okay, of the meaning an essential nature of Jesus rising from the dead. So we'll start today by looking at what the resurrection did. Okay, what the resurrection did. And for clarity's sake, um, let's discuss what it means that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And please feel free, by the way, to answer these questions out loud because I would like to hear your responses. Okay, does Jesus' resurrection mean that he passed out on the cross, was accidentally buried alive, and came to in the grave? Does it mean that he only metaphorically rose from the dead in the hearts and minds of his followers who tried to carry on his legacy? Does it mean that Jesus' body stayed in the grave, but his spirit returned to earth to appear to various people? No, we believe that Jesus' resurrection was the physical, literal, 
bodily rising from the dead. His lifeless body received back his spirit after three days in the tomb. And we believe that this took place at a specific location, at an actual point in history. This is the only biblical perspective on the resurrection. Any other point of view is not only wrong, but it condemns those who hold to it. So, hopefully we're on the same page about that. I want us to discuss what the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead has accomplished. Okay, What did it do? Perhaps the first thing we can know upon believing in Jesus' resurrection is that it has proved the Son's identity beyond a shadow of a doubt. It proved the Son's identity. You know, early in his back and forth with the apostles, uh, Jesus gave strong indicators of who he was even before they officially confessed it. In John chapter 1, when Philip said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Excuse me, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. That was Philip. Jesus affirmed his faith. And then in Matthew 16, when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said nobody could have, have known that except for the Father showing him. He told Peter, you could not have known. In Mark 14, Jesus proclaimed that he was, in fact, the Messiah and the Son of God. And in the book of John, he referred to himself as one with the Father. And he even said, before Abraham was, I am. Using the very name that God gave himself in Exodus. So yeah, he, he identified himself pretty clearly in the gospel accounts. But as many of us are aware, uh, anyone can claim pretty much anything about himself, right? I mean, you can, you can say just about anything. Lots of people with a couple of screws loose have claimed to be God over the years. Right? Not only that, but self-identifying incorrectly has become a very strange obsession in our culture today. As you probably know, there's grown men who are, for whatever reason, claiming to be female in order to compete you know, in women's sports and destroy the competition. It's pretty sad. Um, there was a, a gentleman, I, I shouldn't call him a gentleman, there's a guy who was actually a rapper named Zuby over in Britain who uh, posted, of course, he, he was being facetious, but he posted that he identified as a woman just for a day so that he could decimate the women's deadlift uh, championship in, uh, in Britain. And then he said, now I identify as a male again. He said, I think I'm going to go back and re-identify so I can do the bench press and the squat too. Um, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Self-identification, if it's not true, doesn't really matter. Anyway, they're obviously not women. Um, that's obvious, but sometimes it's a bit more subtle. Um, back in my, in my less admirable teenage years, I, I borrowed my friend Craig's driver's license to get into a nightclub. Not that Craig, by the way. Um, uh, I, looked, I looked similar enough to this guy's picture that the, the bouncer actually let me in, and then when my, when my friend Craig actually showed up just a few minutes later in line, the bouncer looked at his ID and he said, your friend's inside, <laughs> and he handed it to him. And, uh, but when a person claims to be God, it's usually really easy. By the way, don't do that, kids. <laughs> so, okay, when a person claims to be God, it's usually really easy to figure out they're not God if they're not God. Right? Okay. In Jesus' case, though, there was a whole lot of evidence that his self-identification was accurate. He was performing miracles, right? I mean, he, he asked a group of haters, a group of people that couldn't stand him. He asked them, he, he said... Can any of you accuse me of sin? And the fact was, none of them could. No one could rightly accuse Jesus of sin, even his enemies. 
He perfectly exhibited the character of God the Father in every single way. But the crowning achievement, the cherry on top of all this, is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And there have been people raised from the dead before, right? But no one had ever raised himself from the dead. And this display of power was the ultimate proof that Jesus really is the Son of God. In Romans 1, Paul refers to God's Son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection was the unshakable proof that Jesus really was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, God the Son, the Christ Messiah, the King of Israel. It was all there. It was all true. The resurrection proves it. But it also proves something else, and it is that Jesus had the Father's assent. Now, what does that mean? It's not assent, like to climb up, but assent, meaning acceptance, meaning an agreement of terms. And here's what this means. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead proves that God the Father had accepted him as a perfect, righteous sacrifice on our behalf. It shows once again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God received his suffering and death as the substitutionary atonement that paid the price for our sins. Now, how do we know this? We know this because Jesus said so. In fact, God raising Jesus to life was affirmation of every claim that Jesus made, including that he had come to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, God... God would not, he, he could not have accepted a less than perfect sacrifice. And so his raising Jesus up from the grave is proof that Jesus never lied about anything that he said about himself, including his mission to lay down his life for his sheep. There's an interesting passage in Romans 4, and um, I think it's often misunderstood or maybe only partially understood. So if you would, if, if, you're, if you're in your Bibles, flip to Romans 4 uh, and look at verse 25. I'm actually going to back up just a little bit. Um, and start at verse 20 just for context. Referring to Father Abraham, okay, Paul says that no unbelief made him waver according to the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced, he says, that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But then Paul goes on to say, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It, meaning righteousness, will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And that phrase, raised for our justification, is interesting here, and I think it can be meant uh, in one of two ways and possibly both. Okay, so, so hang with me. This is, this, is, this is meat, okay? First of all, if Paul is using the word justification in the same way that he does in uh, several other places in Romans, he may mean that Jesus' resurrection was God's acceptance of our sacrifice, you know, or his sacrifice for us, rather, on behalf of, of sinners. And so it was thus part of our actual justification, just as his death paid for our sins. In other words, uh, if Christ had not risen from the dead, we could not be made righteous before God because our sins would still be on us. Okay? But another possibility is this. In one of his letters to Timothy, 
Paul uses the same Greek word translated justification when he says that Jesus was, was vindicated, that's the word justified, by the Spirit. And Jesus clearly doesn't need to be made righteous by the Spirit because he was already without sin. And so I think that, I think that verse means that what Paul said in Romans 1, I think he means that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. And if this is all a bit confusing, just understand, the resurrection proves that Jesus' sacrifice was accepted by God the Father. And we're supposed to recognize that it does, which is, is a marvelous comfort to anyone who has doubts about whether they can be saved. You know, no matter what you've done, listen, no matter what you have done, if you repent and believe, guess what? God is faithful. He forgives our sins based on the merit of His Son. What does 1 John 1 say? If we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The resurrection is proof. It's proof. What else did Jesus rising from the dead accomplish? Well, simply put, with the resurrection, he won the victory over death. He beat death. And that's a major deal, don't you think? That's a pretty awesome thing to say. You know, prior, prior to Jesus being raised to life, uh, death had historically always gotten the final word. I mean, from the moment Adam sinned, Scripture tells us that death entered the world. And, and even the people who were raised from the dead, you know, they would eventually die again with 100% certainty. Their bodies would return to dust, according to the, the curse in the Garden of Eden. However, as the song says, death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him from rising again. See, Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. The Bible tells us in Romans 6 that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Quick side note, has anybody ever heard the song, The Champion by Carmen? Yeah, a few of us. I, I want to challenge Who has not heard the song? Dude, I challenge you. Look it up today when you get home. But I, I know it's old, and you can tell when you listen to it. There's some synth in there, but it's almost 40 years old. But, but it is, it's so good. Uh, it, it's older than some of you 30-somethings, but boy, is it good. I, I don't want to ruin it for you, so, so I won't say anything else about it, except it's nearly the perfect Resurrection Sunday song. The reason Jesus is the champion is that he overcame everything that the world and the devil threw at him, including terrible suffering and even death. How thankful we ought to be for the resurrection of our Lord Jesus and all that it accomplished. But what, about, what about what the resurrection does today for us? I mean, did you know it's still accomplishing God's will now? Even now, in the 21st century, the resurrection is accomplishing God's will. But we're going to start this also in Romans here. Um, but we're going to be expanding into 1 Peter and also 1 Corinthians 15. So if you want to put your fingers there, uh, if you're one of those cool people that's got the tabs on your Bible, just remember 1 Peter, 1 Corinthians. Um, in the meantime, have you ever considered the connection between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that uh, the Scripture says that God gives us life through His Holy Spirit, even while we're still here in the body. You ever thought about that connection? I mean, it's true that Jesus was able to give life to people when He was here in the flesh, right? I mean, He, he would 
He said things about it. But, but once he returned to heaven, okay, once Jesus Christ bodily ascended, who was, the, um, who was God's guarantor? Who is God's sustainer of life that for, for all of us who believed was here? Holy Spirit, thank you. He raised Jesus to life, instituting a pattern by which we receive life. As Paul said in Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He says that, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, this is, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around, okay, but, but there's some nifty hints that help us grasp its meaning. See, the word that's translated give life can mean to revitalize or even to make alive something which was not. And so if you're like me and you have a hard time with all, all the, the faults and, and, and the foibles of your humanity, then take heart, okay? Because if the Holy Spirit lives in you by grace through faith, you are a partaker of new life. And it's different from what you, you previously had when you walked in the flesh. This life is, you know what, we're going to come back to this concept, uh, but I'm, I'm going to forge ahead. The resurrection not only gives us life, but it also gives us hope. Hope. That's one of those words that we've, we've really kind of ruined. <laughs> we ruin a lot of words in English. Uh, you know, when you say, I love pizza or something like that, you're kind of butchering the use of the word love. Uh, we don't use hope correctly because most of the time when a person talks about hoping, we do it in kind of a wistful sense. You know, like uh, we use it interchangeably with the word wish sometimes. Like, I hope it doesn't rain while I'm in the store, you know, because I left the windows down or, or, you know, I hope we have burgers tonight for dinner or whatever. But we don't use the word to express something that is a certainty in our minds. We, we think of it as a maybe. But biblically, the word hope is much, much stronger than that. It's, it's not a, a pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. Hope is when we are willing to bet everything we have and everything we are on the future fulfillment of one of God's promises. That's hope. It's mental assurance of something that we believe. In fact, hope for the Christian, hope is such a tangible thing that the author of Hebrews referred to it as an anchor for the soul. I love that. I love that mind picture. And that hope, it's not baseless. You know, like we talk about faith, faith and faith, and hope and hope. No, this is not hope and hope. It, it, is, it is hope in an object in the personhood of Jesus Christ who is crucified for us and raised to life. And the Apostle Peter wrote an amazing passage in the first letter of the church as we read some of it earlier this morning um, from 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Born again. So there's that revitalization, that new life that comes when we're born again. But it's intimately connected with the phrase, a living hope. And what is the means by which we receive this new life and living hope? It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to think about this. If Jesus hadn't been who he claimed to be, then the Father would not have accepted His sacrifice in our place. And then there would be no victory 
over death. And then we're in serious trouble. That would mean that God's way of saving us from our, our sin and death and eternal punishment was a failure. It would mean that we are still lost. You know, much of the, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians deals with this, this hypothetical, and we're going to get there shortly, but how awful would it be, brothers and sisters, if God had simply let us go astray like the stupid, rebellious sheep that we are? But he didn't. He persevered. He remained faithful to his promises, and he remains faithful. We, we get to look at the resurrection of Jesus kind of like a, a, like a beacon of light that shines on God's faithfulness because we can know that his rising from the dead paves the way for our own resurrection. Now, you might be wondering, how does that follow? Friends, listen. Every person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ should know that Christ did what we could not. Okay, this, is, this is super important, okay? If you're still laboring under the delusion that you are within yourself good enough for God to accept, then I pray that you will surrender that satanic notion before you leave here today. One of the most nefarious lies from the pit of hell is that God will accept us based on our own merits. You cannot be good enough for God. It's been said, and I'll say it again, that God loves us as we are, but He does not accept us as we are. How does He accept us? As Jesus is. It's the only way He can. He accepts us as Jesus is. He receives us as He received His own spotless lamb. See, God requires absolute perfection. And as such, human beings, we're all, all of us, we're incapable of being accepted by the Father until the blood of Christ is applied to us. And that application is only made through the grace of God. And we access this grace by faith. Not by being a good person. By faith. Now to the point, Christ paved the way for our death to sin by dying to sin himself. And I know that seems weird because we say, well, how was he ever alive to sin himself? It's not, it's not in that sense. If you look at Romans 6, it gives you more of a, I'm going to keep going. First, by dying figuratively to sin and the fact that he never committed a sin, but then by dying literally for our sake to pay for our sins. By his resurrection, Jesus paves the way for ours. And the Bible refers to Jesus as the first fruits of, of both the dead and the resurrected. So, so let's take a look now. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, okay? Um, after defining the gospel, which includes the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul begins discussing why the resurrection is an absolute necessity. Starting in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if the faith is wrong, Paul says, then Christians are the most pitiable people alive. Why? Because, because they were dealing with all this persecution for nothing. 
There'd have been no point in following Christ if his promises weren't true. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now to clarify that this, this is not a reference to universal salvation, okay? That's not, Paul, Paul was referring to all who are in Adam dying, and, and that's every human being to ever live on this planet. We are all in Adam. We're born in Adam, okay? But the second all in that sentence refers not to every human being in general, but every human being who is in Christ. We all shall be made alive. And then Paul continues, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus went first. And like any good leader, he never asks his followers to do something that he himself is unwilling to do. He's the first one to die and rise again so that we can die and be raised again. And this is, this is actually a really good segue into our, our final point, which is what the resurrection will do. We've looked at what it did. We looked at what it does. Now we're going to look at what it will do, okay? Just as Christ was raised to life by the Father, so we'll be raised to life when Jesus returns to put all of his enemies under his feet and reclaim his own. Our future resurrection would be impossible without his. And church, do you want to know what the resurrection is going to do? It's going to get us home. It's going to get us home. You know, I'm a citizen of, of the city of McKinney, of Collin County, of the great state of Texas, you know, of, of the United States of America, and, and all at once. I'm a citizen of all those all at once, okay? But transcending all of those things, I'm a citizen of heaven. And if you're in Christ, you are too. You know, in Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul wrote that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. See, Jesus' resurrection means that one day, when our mortal bodies are just back to dust and ash, you know, that we're going to be given, by Christ, we're going to be given new bodies. Bodies without aches and pains, right? Bodies without disease. Bodies without sin. Does that excite anybody else? Bodies without sin. It excites me. Yeah, I look forward to the day when, when I can know that I will never commit another sin. And I, I can look forward to it because of, of the precious promises of a gracious God who sent His Son into the world to seek and save the lost and to make us like Him. Without Jesus, none of this would be possible. But because of Jesus, it's not only possible, but it's promised. It's promised to all who truly put their faith in Him. Will you, will you 
do an experiment with me really quickly. Just, just close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you to close. Some of you already have your eyes closed, so you're <laughs> ahead of everyone else. Um, <laughs> I want you to use your imagination for a moment, okay? Picture a long, dusty road outside of a Middle Eastern village. There's 13 men that are walking into town, and they all look exhausted. But 12 of them seem to be kind of between confused and concerned, and while the man in front walks with purpose. And there's a woman with her hair hanging loose in the traditional sign of mourning. She comes staggering out into the road, her cries of grief piercing the air, and with a sob of anguish, she throws herself to the ground in front of the men, grasping the feet of their leader, and she cries out, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would still be alive. But I know that even now, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Her tears make dark spots in the dust at his feet. And the man looks at her with his tired eyes, radiating compassion, and he says tenderly, your brother will rise again. And she looks up into his face and, and trying to regain some semblance of composure. She replies, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Do you know this story? Do you know the man's reply? Hold, hold on to that thought. Please don't open your eyes yet, okay? The woman is Mary, her brother is Lazarus, and the man speaking is Jesus. And he makes this incredible, wonderful, glorious statement I am the resurrection and the life. Please open your eyes. Jesus said he himself is the resurrection and the life. And he proved it just minutes later by raising Lazarus back from the dead. And then a few weeks after that, he proved it even further by raising from the dead himself, by rising. He did it. In church, Jesus gives the same gift to anybody who receives him with repentant faith. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question he ends that sentence with. He says, do you believe this? Do our lives reflect belief in the promise of the resurrection? I mean, that's, that's a valid question, friends, and Jesus is asking it. Do you believe this? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life and that he provides both of those things to those who belong to him? Do you believe that? If you do, then live your life as a celebration of Jesus Christ. Look forward to rejoicing with him in heaven. When I looked for a picture to end the PowerPoint with, I came across this one, and I just started crying and had a hard time stopping. Look at the joy on her face. I think a lot of times we think, and we're, we're kind of like that last picture where we think, oh, I'm going to get to see my grandma and grandpa and dad, and blah, 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 blah. You know what? That's going to be the second thing. <laughs> because the main attraction is Jesus. Amen. The main attraction is Jesus. Look forward to rejoicing with him. And listen, if you don't believe this, if you don't believe that he is the resurrection and the life, please, please reconsider. Please ask God for faith. Just, just as you could not see 
when your physical eyes were closed a moment ago, so you cannot see Jesus unless God opens your spiritual eyes. So pray for faith. Pray for it. Let this Resurrection Sunday be the day that you experience new life in Jesus Christ. And if today is that day, I want to just I want to invite you to come forward during our song and to confess Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then to come back this evening because right now there's no water in the baptistry. <laughs> but that is one of the things that, that we are commanded to do. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he died for you and rose from the dead, then you confess that before your, your brothers and sisters. You confess it, and you receive the wonderful sacrament of baptism. It's an ordinance that Christ himself instituted. And then you walk faithfully with a body of Christians. And I will tell you, if you make that decision, you have a group of people here that will back you up. We've got your back. But you've got to belong to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, I, I thank you for this wonderful day, this day of the celebration of the resurrection. Every Sunday, really every day, should be a celebration of the resurrection. Help us, to, uh, help us to be grateful for the new life. God, as we, as all of us, we, we get older. Um, the minority of us get older. We get stronger and taller, and the majority of us don't. And we look forward to knowing that there's coming a time when you're going to give us new bodies. More importantly, though, we're going to get to see your face. And I pray, God, for anybody here who is who's lost, Pray that you open their eyes to see. In Jesus' name.